Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning, Quest. Uh, glad to be with you again. I hope you're enjoying this series, Courageous Choices. Uh, it's a lot of fun for me. As we were sitting down and planning it, I was super stoked uh, for this Sunday, for all of the stuff, because I think this story is amazing. It's fantastic. And, um, and, and you know, the, the story of Joshua and his leadership and, and how the people of Israel made into the promised land, uh, it's, it's just exciting. It's fun. And, and um, for me, what I love about it the most is that it's a story that is always God forward. You know, it, it's, it's about how big God is, how provisional he is for his people. And, and um, it helps us as a church, as followers of Jesus, to really see his majesty and, and how much he, he cares for us and, 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 um, and provides for us. And so this morning, uh, we're going to focus on uh, the moments before God released the first city of the promised land to the people of Israel. This is a crazy story. Um, I, 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 when I when I think about it, it's it's I, I don't even know really how to classify it, uh, but it's exciting. But before we do that, um, I want to talk uh, just a bit about the, the progress of the journey of the people of Israel um, as they led up to this point. Okay, so people of Israel. Way back, they've been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, and then Moses leads them out through a parted Red Sea. Huge miracle. Amazing. Then uh, the people wander through a desert for 40 years because they're rebellious, they don't trust God, um, and, and their wandering is, is really classified um, as, as this attitude of the men and women that they would rather be enslaved rather than free, which is crazy, right? I mean, you have these people who, who've been in slavery for hundreds of years, and once they're freed and they're wandering through the desert, they're saying, man, we'd, we'd rather be back there in Egypt, you know? And I, don't, I don't understand it, but that's who they were. Um, and then they reach the edge of the promised land. In this place, we pick up the story of Joshua and Caleb. You know, they were two of the 12 spies that the Lord sent out uh, to, to spy out the land of Canaan. That's known as the promised land. Um, and their report that we read about in Numbers 13 and 14 sets up this beautiful picture for us as followers of God. This is the beginning of this narrative arc of faith uh, for the people of God. Joshua and Caleb report about the tremendous fruit, this this bounty of the promised land. And, and, and they report about... The giants that also live there that they're going to have to defeat if they're going to live in the promised land. And then as they report this, Joshua and Caleb meet immediate opposition from the community of God, the people of Israel. This murmur of fear pours over this crowd of Israelites. And Joshua and Caleb are the only two people who trust in what God has promised them. Here's, here's that account. This is Numbers 13, uh, 6 and following. Uh, the words are on the screen, but I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to this account. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh, Jeff, um, 
who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and said to all of the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good. It's a good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. This is what Joshua and Caleb told the congregation of the people of Israel. And this is what the congregation of the people of Israel say back to them. Let us stone them. <laughs> like, not a friendly, you know, retort. Like, hey, that sounds great. No, throw rocks at them until they die. Terrible, terrible. Uh, I hope you guys don't do the same thing this morning. Hey, see, Jeremy, anybody brought tomatoes? Um, Two men, two men, Joshua and Caleb, against an entire community. And then we fast forward to Joshua 3, when the people of Israel are entering then into the promised land by crossing a river that's swollen due to floods. This is what Ross talked about last week. And, and, um, of course, they're led by Joshua, a man clearly gifted by God to lead. Um, And upon reaching the other side of the river, as it parted, and they walked across on dry ground, um, which is not unlike the crossing of the Red Sea, God's provision is amazing. I mean, it really is. Um, The people of Israel, as they cross through, the people of Israel, they build altars to remind them of how God had led them into the promised land against all odds. A memorial, a reminder of what God had done for them. It's an act of worship. An act of worship that that says God is amazing, God is powerful, God brought us here. And it's also this act of worship that unites the people of God under his authority. Right? First, we had Moses taking the the people of God out of slavery, and then Joshua and Caleb leading them uh, into the promised land, and then this entire congregation of people. The faith of the people of Israel is growing one by one by one by one until the whole community is trusting in God. And they're about to have their faith tested like it's never been tested before in front of an enemy that was protected by a fortified city. And this is where we pick up uh, today's story in Joshua 6. And, and like I said before, this is an unbelievable story. It doesn't make any sense to me what, what's going on here. And, and um, if you're familiar at all with the story of Jericho, uh, then, then you know that, I mean, what happened was, is amazing. It's astounding. Um, and, and it's almost unbelievable. But... Uh, there is archaeological proof that has demonstrated that the narrative of this story is in fact true. But for me, what happened in this city of Jericho, it's not like the actual facts of it, it's not what's really hard to believe, but rather how the people of Israel fought this battle. This is what was prescribed to Joshua by the Lord for the people. We're in Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Listen to this story. You shall march around the city, and all of the men going, men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow trumpets. 
And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, which archaeology has proved that's exactly what happened. The walls didn't tip to one side or to the other. They collapsed down on top of the people who were living in the city walls. Ooh, terrible way to die. And the people shall go up, everyone, straight before them. So what the Lord prescribed to them was that they were going to march in a circle, they were going to blow horns, and they were going to shout. (laughs) Doesn't seem like a very great military strategy at all. Like, you know, I can imagine General Patton talking to the U.S. troops. Okay, here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to overthrow the Nazis. What we're going to do is we're going to go out, we're going to march in a circle, you're going to hear a trumpet, and then you're going to shout, and they're all going to die. Like, no, that's... No, we're going to kill him. No. See, Patton, Patton, this is what's interesting. Patton is, Patton is not God, right? He's, he, he is surviving alone on his manpower. That's all he has on his side. And, and, and this idea of manpower, I, I think it's critical for us to investigate as we think about the story of the people of Israel. Remember, what, what did Moses display when he was told to go to Pharaoh to, to set the people of God free? Does anybody know? You don't have to shout it out. Just think about it. Um, what did he do? What, what, did, what did the people of Israel display when they heard about the people, the giants living in Canaan that they were going to have to destroy? What would you have thought about if you were there to hear Joshua say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. See that city up there? We're going to march around it. We're going to blow some trumpets. And then we're going to shout. And the city is going to be destroyed. Now, I hope you're thinking about the word fear. Because that's what Moses experienced before he went to Pharaoh. That's what the people of Israel experienced when they looked into uh, the promised land for the first time. And that's probably what the people were experiencing when, when Joshua said, this is how we're going to do it. And I know that's what I would have been thinking about. See... In my life, I personally, I want to have this healthy dose of fear. Uh, it, it keeps us alive, right? I mean, fear, fear could be a really good thing. Um, but, but for me, I, I also want to flirt with the boundaries of my limitations. And not only that, I, I personally, um, I want to pass on a legacy of risk to my, to my son and my daughter. So my greatest fear right now as a father is that my children will not learn that life is hard, that it takes a considerable amount of hard work to truly be successful, and that every, everything that, that we have to do in order to, to, um, to accomplish those things, I mean, it, it's, it's not easy, right? And it's okay to be afraid of those things, but we've got to risk. See, everything in um, our kids' world is set up to make life easy and safe. And I'm, I'm not good. This is not a critique of our culture in any way, but I'm, I'm pretty sure some of you have thought about the same thing. I mean, right, my son plays t-ball, okay? And um, at the end of the season, he's going to receive something. What, what, is it, what is my son going to receive at the end of his season? A trophy, right? A trophy for participation, right? I mean, for what? I mean, for, for showing up to the field is what it's for. Actually, no, not just showing up to the field, for having his parents drive him in a car and bring him to the field. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just kind of like, oh. And that's what they do out there, too. <laughs> Dandelion. A trophy for participation. It, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, am I alone in this? 
Right? Are you guys with me? Okay. Doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And um, here's interesting. Uh, James Harrison of the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, he agrees with me. This is something that he did. Uh, his sons received these trophies um, for participation. And this is what he said. Um, I came home to find out that my boys received two trophies for nothing. Participation trophies. While I'm very proud of my boys for everything they do and will encourage them till the day I die, these trophies will be given back until they earn a real trophy. I'm sorry, I'm not sorry for believing that everything in life should be earned. And I'm not about to raise two boys to be men, making them believe that what they are, um, that they are entitled to something just because they tried their best. Because sometimes your best is not enough. And that should drive you to want to do better. Not cry and whine until somebody gives you something to shut you up and keep you happy. Okay, now, I, I probably wouldn't say it the same way that he said it, but I agree with him. I, I, I want my son to know what a trophy is really for. It's not just for completing something, um, or worse, just for showing up, having your parents bring you there. It's, a trophy is for winning. It's for victory. And I think that's a good lesson for us to teach our children. When we push hard, when we take risks in spite of our fear... And then when we experience victory, it's that much better. It causes us to evaluate our potential. You know, what are we really capable of? Can we do what we set out to do? You know, normal considerations for us to make when we're challenged with something. How much manpower will it take for us to do what we're called to do? Now, I want you to listen to the battle of the people of Israel that they underwent here in Joshua 6. This is interesting. Okay. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 8. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord, they went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. And the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, so they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of day, and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout. For the Lord has given you the city, and the city that's all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And then they destroy the city with a shout and all of the people in it. This is a really cool story. When you think about how God called them to do this, what he told them to do, how they're going to take this city, I mean, it's just like... It's, it's marvelous, right? A shout. That's all it took. But I want to I call your attention to, to just one thing. And I hope, I hope that you're questioning some of what I said earlier, okay, about trophies and participation. Because who won the trophy in this story, Joshua 6? Who got it? Verse 19. 
but all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron. Those are trophies. All of those trophies, they are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. See, the trophy, it doesn't go to the people of God. Why? Because all they did was show up. I mean, they may as well have been just playing t-ball, right? God brought them to the field to fight to begin with. And, and this is the only time, this is the only time I think maybe a participation trophy is merited. But they don't get the trophy that most people expect. See, they end up with something far better. The people of Israel, they get the promised land. That's their trophy. And as I I said early on, this progression is the beginning of the story arc of faith for the followers of God. All followers of God, believers in Jesus Christ, we will experience the promised land. Not in Canaan, like the people of Israel, but eternally with God. This is his promise to us. So the Israelites, they take this great city and... To them go the spoils of God's war because they simply showed up. Just because they were there. So the story, it's crazy, right? It's it's a weird way to fight. Um, And and if you knew what the Israelites did just mere days before this battle, um, you'd really be astounded. And I saved this part on purpose this part of the story on purpose uh, because it exposes the lie that we as a community of God Um, Have That we should rely on our own abilities to do those things that he calls us to do. There's nothing further from the truth. I mean, throughout the text, throughout the text of Joshua and, and the story of the Israelites, there's this highlight of what God did for the Israelites. How, how, how he, he brought them through the Red Sea, how he brought them through the Jordan uh, and when it was in its flood season, and it caused the enemies of the Israelites to be afraid. And then to heap on the power and greatness of God, he does this. This is Joshua 5. This is so fantastic. If you are here last week, then uh, you heard Ross challenge, you know, he said, Jeremy's going to talk about this. ha, <laughs> ha. And I am. I'm going to read it, though, from the text just to make it a little bit easier for me because it's not uh, comfortable. Joshua 5, verse 1. As soon as the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were beyond the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Right? I'm going to stop for a second right here. Okay. This is, this is, this part of the text is repeated throughout um, the story of Joshua. We read similar statements in Joshua 1, 5, and 6, and Joshua 2, 9, and Joshua 4, 24, and even back in Numbers um, chapter 14, verse 13. See, the enemies of God, they had heard what God had done for the Israelites, and they were afraid of what he was going to do to them. It was setting up the Israelites for success. God was setting up the Israelites for success. And Okay, let me go back into this. Verse 2 of Joshua 5. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Here's a good idea before you go into battle, Joshua. I want you to make flint knives and circumcise all those men. What? <laughs> make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel, of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haroth which means um, hill of foreskins. This is a lot of people. I mean, come on. All of them. I said all of them. 
Uh, and this is the reason why Joshua did this. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all of the men of war, had died in the wilderness there to... Um, oops. They had died on the, in the wilderness on their way after they had come out of Egypt. Uh, though all the people who had come out had been circum, circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness had not. Um, for the people of Israel, they walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to, give to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. And so it was their children whom God raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place until in the camp until they were healed. How? How? Anyway. Um, and the Lord said to Joshua... This is actually important. Verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of this place is called Gilgal, which means to roll away. Okay. Great preparation for battle, God. We appreciate it. Once again, Patton saying to the U.S. troops, Okay, here's what we're going to do. Get ready for this. I want you to make flint knives. And, uh, yeah, no, you can use your standard issue knife if you want to. But, this is what, no. I mean, like... This, it seems crazy, but here's what it does. And this, this, I think what we learn from this, Joshua 5, is that it makes God the star of this battle, right? There's not a man alive that marched into Jericho or around Jericho that was truly ready for battle at this moment. I mean, they could not have done this on their own. It was by the power of God alone. You see, in our world, in the kingdom of man, we rely on our strength to get us through difficult obstacles. But in the kingdom of God, he's the one who does all of the work. All of the work. We don't have to do any. We don't have to work. Think about that. There's nothing that we can do to improve the work that God is already doing. So we get to relax. We get to participate. We get to join in the work that he's doing. All we have to do is just let him bring us to the field. To watch him do his thing. God's got it covered. This reminds me of something that Jesus said to his disciples. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As followers of Jesus... God's people, we don't have to work. See, pursuing God, it's not a cumbersome thing. It's not difficult. We we get caught up in all of the lies of the enemy um, that he wants us to believe. You know, that we don't deserve what God promises for us. uh, That we should fear what seems like a huge obstacle in front of us. You know, that, 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 that we have to rely on ourselves to get through But all of that is garbage. You see, in the economy of God, what's his is also ours. His kingdom is upside down from the kingdom of man. 
And we have to learn to think differently about the world when we choose to participate with God in his kingdom. It's no longer about us or our strength, right? It's about God and his strength. What about this lie? How many of you have ever believed this? That our past prohibits us from entering the kingdom of God. The sins, the things that we have done, all of those things prohibit us from entering into the kingdom of God. See, the second thing about this moment before the Israelites went into battle with Jericho, this circumcision, this vulnerable moment, it preempted one of the most profound and difficult to understand and believe statements from the Bible. Verse 9, God says to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Now, scholars debate a little bit about what the reproach actually is, but there's no debate about what God meant. He's saying the shame of the Israelites. Shame from being slaves. Shame from not trusting God in the desert. Shame for whatever. Shame. God removes that shame. He says it's gone. The blemish is gone. They're vulnerable before the Lord, and he took away their shame. It was forgiven. It was forgotten. And immediately after this moment, immediately after, they begin to eat the fruit of the promised land. They, they, they delight in the bounty of the land that God gave them. And this is important because up until this point, when they're wandering through the desert, they're relying on God to give them manna. But the second that they became vulnerable for God, that they said, I'm going to trust in you, God, the manna ceased and they could take and delight in the fruit that the land was providing. God was saying, I'm giving it to you so you can take it. You don't have to, to rely on the stuff that I'm going to give you anymore. It's, the land's going to provide for you. This is Ultimately, like this, this entirely new nation of people that trust God in a whole new way. Before they entered the land, they were afraid of what they saw. They were afraid of the giants. They were afraid of the cities. They were afraid of all kinds of stuff. But now, all of a sudden, they're saying, I'm going to be vulnerable before you, God. I'm going to trust you even more. And I'll rely on the fruit of your work. See, and this is why, that's why the, the Israelites could hear this outrageous battle plan that Joshua lays before them. Hey, walk in circles around Jericho and then shout and everything's going to be taken care of. They could hear it because they knew that God could be trusted. See, in the kingdom of man, we fear vulnerability because we know that it could lead to an attack. It exposes us to an attack. But in the kingdom of God, our vulnerability removes any weakness that we have. God protects the people of God, even at our most vulnerable. God is our protection. And and, and I think this is the picture of what it means to really follow Jesus. He's our substitution. We don't have to suffer because Jesus did, right? He does the work for us. We simply choose to participate in what Jesus is already doing. Every sin, every violation, everything that we've ever done that went against God is forgiven. Our shame, our reproach, all of it is blotted away when we choose to surrender to the authority of God. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites before Jericho. So you and I, we can trust that we are free from all of the guilt and shame that we hold on to. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are forgotten. 
We don't have to hold on to it. We can trust that Jesus has us covered. We're not separated from him any longer when we are vulnerable to him. Jesus has let it go. God has let it go. And so too should we let it go. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Right? We do it because we're remembering what Christ did on the cross. When we receive the bread and the juice, it's in memory of his suffering, of his sacrifice, how he blotted away our sins forever. It's also a memory of what happened in Jericho when the reproach and the shame was taken away, was rolled away from them. It's a reminder of how God brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, how he's always provided for them. This is where it began And when we choose to follow Jesus, we're set free from the bondage of slavery and death. We're set free from the shame that's attached to sin. We're given new life in Jesus and eternity in the promised land, right? In a moment, we're going to receive communion. As a remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross, what what God did before Jericho. And, And any of us who are followers of Jesus should come to the table And should remember his sacrifice. As we dip the bread, which is a symbol for his body that was broken on the cross. As we dip it into the juice, which represents his blood that washed away all of our sins. May our hearts be grateful for the freedom from guilt, from shame, from sin, and ultimately from death. Jesus stood in our place. He did the work so that we could enjoy eternity. But I want to say this. I don't think that's the full purpose of this story in Jericho. See, a paradigm begins to emerge if we only think about the people of Israel as the victors of Jericho. Sure, um, you know, we, we begin to trust in God in such a way that allows God to reign over the Israelites. We see how that works, how they surrendered to him, how they made themselves vulnerable to him. That's so important. It's such a good model for us. We see how God was victorious Um, And the Israelites, how they experienced the spoils of the battle. But there's someone else in that story who also was blessed. Do you remember who it was? Right? Verse 17 of Joshua 6. And the city and all that's within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute. Canaanites. Canaanites. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. See, the message of Jesus is this, that every single person can receive the promised land. We can all participate in his glory. What Rahab recognized was who God was, what he could do, and she chose to participate in his plan. You see that? And as a result, she became part of the family lineage of Jesus Christ. Anyone, everyone has access to God. And if we begin to think of the church or a body of believers as the chosen, um, that, that we're the special ones, then we are messing up the message of God. Because that's not what Jesus preached. It's not what this story professes. 
See, the story of God is this, is that God is the one who's special. He's the one who deserves all of the glory. All we do is simply participate with God in what he's doing. We just show up. We have a choice. Will we join with him? So the question I have for you this morning is, where do you see God working around you? I know he's moving. I know he's working. I know he's, he's doing things in the lives of people around you and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors and your own life. Where do you see him? Where do you see him at work and will you join him? Will you participate in the things that he's doing? As we come to the table today, I want you to think about that question. Where do you see God at work? How can you participate with him? When you're in line waiting to receive communion, let that be at the front of your thought. Ask God to show you where he's moving and how you can join with him and the work that he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your plan. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for your strength, your provision, your protection. We thank you that, that because of you, we don't have to work. We don't have to struggle. We just get to join in to the work that you're doing. We thank you for your son. We thank you that that he surrendered his life on a cross so that we don't have to endure death. We don't have to endure torture. We don't have to endure separation from you. But now we can be joined with you and your family for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, come. Stir in our hearts. Move in us. Show us where you are working so that we can join in and be participants in your work. Let us be men and women who are able to enjoy the blessings of your work, God, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.